So we are in a series called The Holy Spirit and You in the book of Acts. We are up to Acts chapter 10. Um, the passage is so lengthy that I'm going to let you sit while I read it, and then we'll stand before uh, I preach and we'll pray together. So here we go, Acts chapter 10. Um, oh boy, guys, it, it goes through, through 48. And so I'm just going to, just in case you don't get it up there in time, I'll do the first 30 from the screen and I'm going to have Acts open here because it's Acts 10, 1 through verse 48. So here we go. I'll do as much as I can on the screen. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a, as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose mouth, house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs and do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. 
He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house and said, Three days ago, I was in my house and an angel appeared and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him, to, raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had chosen, already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him. After he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach the gospel and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Woo! Now would you stand with me, please, as we pray. Lord, this is an incredibly important text. Would you speak? Would you speak to every heart? Holy Spirit, would you fall just as you fell when Peter preached? Come and bear witness to your message. We will give you all the praise and all the glory for every good thing that happens. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So this is the longest narrative in the book of Acts. Not only is it... The story told twice here, first it happens and then it's retold, it is told a, a third time at the beginning of Acts 11 when the Jews are angry that the Gentiles got baptized and Peter tells the entire story again. What is it about this story that is so important that God would put such emphasis on it? The title of the message is Three 
conversions. Point one is the conversion of Cornelius. So Cornelius is a centurion in the Roman army. A centurion is in charge of 100 Roman troops. They are, he is part of the Italian cohort. A, a cohort is 600 troops. The Italian cohort is known especially for their loyalty to Rome. He lives in Caesarea. Caesarea is the Roman uh, city in Judea. It's where the seat of government rests. In 1961, there was a stone found uh, broken off of a wall with the name Pontius Pilate on it. It is where Pilate resided. That stone, it's called Pilate Stone, is one of the archaeological facts that, that corroborate the, the, the New Testament. So he is a Roman soldier, very loyal to Rome, but that's not all he is. He's, he's also uh, a God-fearer. This was a term used by Jews. A God-fearer was someone who believed in the God of Israel, who had a fear of God, worshipped God, but had not become a Jew. He had, hadn't been circumcised, didn't do the Jewish ceremonies, but he, he worships God and he believes he is the true God. He is a God-fearer. He is praying at 3 p.m., which was the Jewish hour of prayer. And it is very sincere. God is pleased with his prayer. He's pleased with his gifts to the poor. Yet Cornelius, even though he is a good person, sincere person, he is not yet saved. The angel appears and says, go and send for Peter and listen to his message. When Peter retells it in Acts 11, he gives a fuller message of what the angel had said. The angel said, um, send for Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and your household will be saved. Even though he believes in God, even though he is responding to God, he is not yet saved. He needs to be saved. People need to be converted. Jesus said, you must be born again. When, Jesus, when Peter says, I see now that God's not partial, that men of every nation, every tribe are acceptable to him. The word acceptable there does not mean that they're automatically saved. It means no one is excluded from the love of God. No one is excluded from the gospel. God welcomes all to come to him, but to come to him, we have to come through the way God has made, which is through Christ and our need to be converted to him. In November of 2019, we went to Malaysia. Alice and I did. We were on a missions trip to visit Sam and Jennifer Duram and they met us at the airport, but they don't drive a car. So what they had done is taken an Uber to get to us. And they didn't call them Ubers. I can't remember what they called them, but it was an Uber, our equivalent of an Uber. And the driver was a guy named Mr. Shem. And so when we get our stuff loaded in the back, um, Jennifer, Sam, and Alice are sitting in the back seat, and I'm in front with 
Mr. Shem. And he's very good in English. And so we get chatting and I find out all about his family and he's Muslim and he's a devout Muslim and, and all about their, the kids and what the kids are doing. And, um, and so uh, he asks me, he asks a little about me and I tell him who I am and what I am. And I, and I, said, uh, I said, boy, there, there's a guy that, that came to our church. His name is Tom Doyle. And he's over uh, missions in the Middle East. And he wrote a book called Dreams and Visions is God Awakening the Muslim People. And I told him all about the book, that, that what's happening is uh, Muslims are seeing a man in white in their dreams that is, is calling them, and uh, it's Jesus in their dreams, and, and God is, is saving Muslims everywhere. And I'm, I'm telling him about this book, and he's asking me questions about it, and, and uh, I, I can tell that he's, he's very interested in what is happening. And um, so we get dropped off, and... And the first thing Sam says to me, he says, if Mr. Shem reports you to the police, you will be arrested and deported back to the United States. Hmm. Well, thanks for sharing that now. <laughs> glad, glad to hear that. Um, and then Sam immediately is like, we need to get him that book. We, we need to find a way to get him that book. And so we go online. It's going to take two weeks. We're only going to be there 10. He said, you need to put that book in his hands. And so we're telling Allison and Jennifer about our plan and how we're, it's not going to work because it takes too long. And Alice says, of all of the books in the world that I could have brought, the one book I brought with me is Dreams and Visions. Is God awakening the Muslim people. So, so we've got the copy. And so Sam gives me the plan. And so when Mr. Shem, we get Mr. Shem to be our Uber driver again to take us to the airport. And after all the bags are unpacked, they're all on the sidewalk. We're just about to go to the airport. It is the very, very last thing that happens. I give Mr. Shem the book. And I say, Mr. Shem, could I pray for you and your family? And he said, he said, absolutely. And I got to pray with him. I want you to consider the love of God for people that don't know him yet. Did you know that God's not just in church? God, God sees every Cornelius who is praying to him in private. He sees every Muslim. He sees every Buddhist. He sees every New Ager. He sees everybody who sincerely is trying to do what's right, but they just don't know what is right. And God is drawing this is, this is John 12, 32. Jesus says, if I'm lifted up on that cross, I'm going to draw all people. I, there's going to be a magnet. I'm going to draw. God releases angels. This is all through the book of Acts, and it's still happening today, to set up appointments. Notice, angels can't preach. It is ours to tell the gospel. Angels can set up appointments, but they don't do the preaching. Even the, the visions that Muslims have received, they never get the whole gospel. They just get Jesus as the answer, and they have to find Christians. God is partnering with his church to share the gospel because God loves people, and God is drawing people. He is drawing them through his beauty, 
He is drawing them through divine appointments. He is drawing them through their addictions that they can't get past themselves. He's getting, he's drawing them by anxiety that they can't get free from themselves. He's drawing them in, in the instability of our days. Oftentimes, I think Christians don't get it. We're just praying that God just make everything peaceful, make everything easy, make everything. And God's like, I, I, I love people. When God shakes everything so that everything feels unstable, did you know what it says in, in, in Hebrews 12? It says the reason why God shakes all things is so that the things that can't be shaken will be revealed. That you, you, you come, you start grasping what is really important when it's the only thing that can't be shaken. And so God is knocking. God is drawing people. Even, even the successful people, the most successful people, when they achieve everything they wanted, they find this, this horrible emptiness. This is in testimony after testimony after testimony. They're supposed to be happy. They've just got to the top. And what is it? God's there knocking. God loves people. God is drawing people. But people need to be converted. They need to come to Christ. Secondly, the, the conversion of Peter. What? Peter's already a Christian. Peter doesn't need to get saved. Uh, Peter, he is a Christian, but he's got his own idea of what Christianity is, and he needs a major transformation. He is, he is, he's been raised Jewish, and right now he's viewing Christianity as an add-on to Judaism, that this is, this is all pleasing to God, and this is even more pleasing to God, and he's just, he's just got it wrong, and God has changed covenants. It's, it's all, how you get to God is different. It's no longer performance. It's all Jesus, and so, um, so after God gives this angelic visitation to Cornelius and he sends these three guys on the journey to Joppa. Joppa is 31 miles from Caesarea. There, so it's over a day. It's, it's the next day now. God comes to Peter at lunch. And I think it's hilarious that Peter, it's lunchtime and the Bible tells us Peter's hungry. He's hungry. It's time to eat. So he goes down and arranges uh, somebody says they're going to prepare lunch and he says, all right, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be praying. And so he goes up on the roof, which is oftentimes in, in many countries, the roof is part of your house. The thing, everything's so tight that the, the roof, you got a railing around the roof and that's another room. And so he's up there praying. And I can picture him pacing back and forth, praying and calling on God. And he goes into a trance. A trance is like, a dream that you have while you are awake. And in this trance, he has a vision of all this sheet coming down and there's all of these four-footed animals and reptiles and insects. And he, of course, he's hungry. And God says, kill and eat. And Peter's like, no, Lord. No, no, there I, I, there, many of these are unclean, and, and, and God speaks to him and says, what I have cleaned, don't call unclean. What I have, what I have said is no longer for, not, not forbidden, is not forbidden. Go, rise up, and eat. So it happens once the sheet goes up, 
and it comes down a second time, sees the whole thing, rise up, eat, what I have cleansed, don't call unclean, and it happens a third time. Now, the significance of a prophetic thing happening three times in a row. Back in, back in Genesis 41, when God gives Pharaoh the same dream in two different ways, Joseph says, because it was twice, it means two things. One, God has firmly decided this, and two, it's going to happen really soon. <laughs> this, is, this is right now. This is upon us. So it happens three times. This is something God has firmly decided, and it's already in place. He gets it three times, and there happens to be three men at the door, so that might be connected to, who knows. Um, but he says, Peter, go down. The, the dream, it, it, it's about food, but it's not just about food. It's also about people. There are three men at the door, and I want you to go with them. And so he invites them into his house, which is illegal for Jews to have Gentiles in their house. They stay overnight. The next day they travel and Peter goes into the house of Cornelius. Once again, this is illegal. He, he says it. He says to Cornelius, you know that we're not supposed to be here. You know our, Cornelius has been in Judea for a while. He knows the events that have happened and he certainly knows how Jews feel about Gentiles. And Peter says, you know that this is illegal. He has crossed a line. That had, never, that, had never, that had never been crossed before because of the command of God. Now, here's the interesting thing. So God calls to him, and he's in Joppa. You, you don't know where you, you remember Joppa from the scriptures? Joppa is where Jonah went. God was dealing with Jonah about God's heart for the Gentiles. God had a message for the Gentiles. And so Jonah goes to Joppa to get a boat so he can go to Tarshish, which is away from the will of God. That he's trying to get as far away from the Gentiles as he can. And so he takes that boat, which was, we know about that journey. Anyway, um, so here it is. We're at Joppa again. And it's again God's heart for the Gentiles. And God is asking his man of God to embrace his heart. I want you to think for just a moment about what God was asking of him. The Romans are oppressing the Jews at this time. He is a soldier. He's not just a soldier. He's a head soldier. Not only is he a head soldier, he's of the most loyal to Rome. This is the most distasteful person to a Jew. And God says, that which is distasteful to you, I love, I have cleaned, I have prepared, and I want you to go to him. I want you to enlarge your world. I want you to go to people that you don't think should be saved. I want you to go to people that you don't think are on my list. I am breaking your little box. Will you join me? Peter needed to be converted to God's way of thinking to God's heart for people. And it's not just Peter, is it?
Peter, when he first goes, Cornelius, it says, bowed in reverence, which is generous because the other translations say that Cornelius tried to worship him. Peter says, stand up. I, I'm not the main event. I, I'm not the guy. This isn't about me. Which is growth. Peter used to think he was the guy. <laughs> then he denied Christ three times and had to be forgiven. And, and now he's got a humility about him. And Peter recognizes, even though God uses me, it's not about me. In Acts 3, 12, when him and John had at, at, the, at the man at the gate called Beautiful and um, he had been lame from birth and there was a miraculous healing and the people were clinging to him and everybody was looking to him and Peter stands up and says in Acts 3, 12, why, why are you looking at me? As if some, by some godliness or piety of my own that this man stands whole before you. He stands whole before you because of Jesus' name. He's healed because of Jesus' name. This isn't about me. This is about Jesus. If God's going to use us in a great way, guys, we need to get this right. Listen to, listen to what John the Baptist, what it says about John the Baptist. Uh, John 1, 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. We are not the light. Jesus is the light. Jesus lives in us, but our part in this is not to get people to like us. John the Baptist described himself as the best man. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I'm the, I'm the best man. I'm not trying to get the, I'm not flirting with the bride. I'm not trying to get everybody to like me so that I, I'm liked by everybody. No, this isn't about me. This is about the bridegroom. My delight is in the bridegroom and hearing his voice. I am here to lead you. I am a light. I am here to testify about the light. And Peter's got his role down. He is there as a witness. He is there to witness about Jesus. And so it's amazing how simple the message is. He tells, him, he tells them about Jesus was born. He came to earth. He was anointed by God, even though he's Lord of all. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed by the devil. And then he died on a cross. And on the third day, he was risen from the dead. And he appeared, not to everybody, but to some of us, and he ate and drank with us, so they know this is a real resurrection, not just an apparition. And God has made him judge of all. He is the judge of the human race. And then this, as judge of the human race, he has testified. His message is this, and all the prophets agree with us. That whoever believes in him, their sins will be forgiven. There is forgiveness in his name. As the holy judge that the whole human race is accountable to, he declares as judge, here is where forgiveness comes. I died for you. And when you put your trust in me, even though you're a sinner, you are forgiven 
of your sins. There is forgiveness in his name. So this is Peter. This is Peter. And he's just telling the story. He's a witness to the story. He's not the main event. Jesus is the main event. His part is to witness to the story. And as he is sharing the simple story, the Holy Spirit falls. The Bible Bible says that they went out preaching and the Lord confirmed his word with the signs that followed. This This is a confirmation that this is the truth. This is our part. We don't have to be complicated. We don't have to be clever. We just tell the story. A few years ago, we had our pastoral staff retreat. We, we do the ministry staff the first day, and then we have the administrative staff joins us the second day. And it's a, an amazing time to clarify, to pray together. Everybody gets prayed for individually, and it's just kind of a God time. And I remember when I was getting prayed over, Sarah Carlin, who's our arts pastor, she said, uh, she said, God, God wants you to know what your part is. She said, I am training directors right now. Sarah is the director of our big plays, but she also teaches the, the drama class. And she, so she was training directors that they were going to direct their own plays. And what she kept coming up with is the directors would want to change the play. They would want to make the play more funny. They would want this person to do this. They would want to put their personal touch. And she said, she, what she said to me is, what I tell them is, no, you, that you don't, you, you, that's not what a director does. A director has been given a story, and it's not their story. They need to be true to that story. The response that they want in others has to be what the author wanted as a response. This is your part as a director. Don't mess with the story. You tell the story. You tell the story the way that the author wanted it to be told. And what she was saying to me is, Pastor Tom, that's all you need to do. Tell the story. Tell the story. You don't have to improve it. You don't have to be clever. You don't have to be funny. Tell the story the way God wanted that story told. That is where we get the witness of the Holy Spirit. It says that the Jews that came with Peter were astonished that the Holy Spirit had been given to the Gentiles. Astonished. Why were they astonished? It wasn't that Jewish, the Old Testament said that God didn't like the Gentiles. There was always a message that God was going to be a light to the whole world. That Abraham, it wasn't just your family, it was to the ends of the earth. Every family is going to be blessed. But the picture, the Jewish picture, was that the way people would get right with God is becoming Jews first. You become a Jew first, and then God can pour out the Spirit on you. But for them to become, have the Spirit poured out them while they're still Gentiles, it, it, it broke every box that they had. And Peter's like, what can stand in the way of them being baptized? God's already accepted them. He's he's accepted them as is. They they don't need to do anything else. God has put his mark on them. What can stand in the way? And the word stand in the way is a Greek word, kolio. 
It's used here. What can stand in the way? When Peter goes back and tells the, the Jews that the Gentiles are in and that he baptized them, they're all angry and they're all coming. And, and he says in verse 17 of chapter 11, he said, listen, God, God did this. Who am I to stand in God's way? It's once again, it's the word kolyo. I'm not, I'm not supposed to stand in God's way. I can only think that Peter had decided way back when, when he first got his call, when he first was called to be the leader, I'm changing your name from Simon to Peter. You're going to be the rock. I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Peter, there's a high call on you. You're, you're going to have keys to open up hearts, to open up people groups. And three verses later, Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You've become a stumbling block to me. You are standing in my way. Because you have in mind the interests of man rather than the interests of God. I, I just think Peter decided at that point, I'm never going to be in God's way again. Whatever God wants to do, I don't want to stand in his way. God has removed everything out of the way so that people can be saved just as they are. They can come just as they are. When the Ethiopian eunuch believes, he says, he, he, he already believes as Philip's preaching, and he says to him, there's water. What can stand in my way? He uses the word you. What is in my way? And the answer is nothing. Let's go get you in the water right now. The reason why I'm so passionate about this is this is why City Church was formed. When the 30 elders were meeting in 2010 and we were talking about whether we should do this or not, I just was really honest. I said, guys, I, the only way that I want to do this, the only thing I'm interested in is having a church where God gets to do whatever he wants to do. We, we've, we've seen us trying to get God to do our thing, God trying to bless our thing, God, God we're going to do it this way, bless it. I, I'm not even interested in that. What, what would it look like if Jesus, nobody was telling Jesus how to run his church. Jesus got to tell us, this is what I want to do. And that our part was to just stay out of his way. That's what I want. That's why it says, come as you are on that sign. God has taken every barrier out of people's way. The conversion of Christians is to not add stuff. <laughs> The conversion of Christians is to not say, you got to do it our way, you got to fit in our program, and then we'll accept you. The conversion of Christians has to be, I've cleaned them all through my cross. Just invite them to come. So now we're at the third conversion. So we have the conversion of Cornelius, then we have the conversion of Peter. And the third conversion is our conversion. So we fall in two groups of people here today. One, you are here and you don't know that you are converted. You're not sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. You're not sure your sins are forgiven. You're not sure that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. You're probably not sure why you're here today, but you're here. So what needs to happen for you? Well, I was, I was brought up in church. I was brought up religious. I, 
I, I, I prayed every night before I went to bed. We prayed at our meals. I went to church on Sunday. I was a religious person. And, uh, and something happened to me in college. And I've told the story before, but to make a long story short, somebody shared the gospel with me. And at the end of the presentation, there were two circles. And one circle had self in the middle. Self was on the throne of the life and all the dots were messed up standing for goals and purposes and Christ was on the outside. And uh, the other circle had Christ in the middle on the throne and a small s and all the dots were, were lined up and he said to me, which one of these two circles is your life? And for all of my religion... For all of my prayer, for all of my, I did fear God at some level, there was no question in my mind that self was in the middle of my life. I knew my life was a mess. I knew that my priorities were out of whack and that I had, I was living my life my way and adding a little religion to it. And it doesn't work and it makes you miserable. And, what he, and then he said, which one do you want it to be? And what he was saying is, is listen, you were created to have Jesus as the hero. Jesus as the middle. Jesus is Lord and Savior. This, this is to be the center relationship of your life. This is when your life comes into order and the dots start lining up. Not all at once, but they will eventually line up because this is how God made you. And he said, which one do you want it to be? And guys, this is something you have to answer before God. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. Because you can fake people out like nothing. People don't know you. People don't know your heart. But you need to be converted. You need to be born again. And this is how it happens. And I, I said, I, I, said I, wa I want Jesus. And, and so I gave my heart to Christ. And things started changing in my life from the inside out. God takes you right now just as you are. He loves you right now just as you are. And he forgives you right now just as you are. But when he comes in to live, he will be the center relationship. And it will start changing everything. It starts out, Jesus said, he would come as the smallest little seed, but it would grow until it was the biggest seed in the garden. Jesus becomes more and more central, more and more important, more and more clear as you walk with him. But it starts with something called conversion. So that we're going to have a chance to get converted today. All right, here's the second group. You're already converted. You already love Jesus. Well, what God wants to do with you is he wants to sign you up to his purpose for your life. And I'm going to read that in just a moment. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So whatever purpose, people are looking for their purpose. Am I supposed to be a doctor or a, or a nurse or a mechanic? Or am I supposed to go to college? And am I supposed to be married? And am I supposed to do this? And everybody wants to find their purpose and God's direction for them. Listen, here's your primary purpose. You are called by God to be an ambassador for him. You have been given a ministry. Everyone in this room has been given a ministry. What the, what's my ministry? Reconciliation. You've got a message. God is not holding the sins of the world against them anymore. This is good news. Jesus has died for their sins. They can be reconciled to God. God has put, given us that message. So what does it actually look like? So here's what it says, Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So this is how it looks in real life. So Jesus said in John 17, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. I'm sending you in the same way the Father sent me. I am sending you. So here is Jesus' plan for every single one of us. He wants to anoint you. And he wants you to go about and do the good that he has put in front of you wherever you go. And in doing that good, there's going to be an anointing released where people that are under darkness are going to go free. This is, this is God's plan. P Pastor Dave talked about it last week. If you, it, it, you don't have to fight against the darkness. You don't have to scream at the darkness. Turn the light on. So you and I are the light. We are the light. We, we, we get anointed. We walk out planning to do good. And we do good. We do good, natural good. Um, good deeds, helping people, loving people, accepting people, listening to people, um, giving them money, helping them across the street. Just little good. Pastor Tom, what possible difference could that little thing mean? You would be surprised in a cynical world what just doing good does. And I'm not talking about just any good. I'm talking about you getting anointed and then doing the good that God puts in front of you. There is an anointing to break people out of darkness. There's natural good, and then there's supernatural good. God might want you to pray for people. God might want you to talk to people. God might want, he want he's going to bring people in your sphere. You are an ambassador from heaven, anointed to do good. So, here is our challenge. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to have communion here in a, in a moment. I've got one last story I want to tell you. And the story is about a young lady, 18-year-old lady named Emma Raducanu. Emma Raducanu is from Great Britain, and she won the U.S. Open just, just in September, early September. She won the U.S. Open. Now, the significant thing about her was this. She was number 150 in the world, and so she had to go through the qualifying round. The qualifying round 
is they take 64 second tier tennis players and they start a tournament on August 21st that goes to August 27th and the 16 the top 16 get included in the US Open that starts the next day so they've got, they've got the top players in the world that didn't need to play a qualifying round. They're all invited just because they're great and they're in the top uh, 50. And then they add these 16. Well, in the history of the U.S. Open, no one who went through the qualifying round has ever made it to the semifinals, men or women. They've never even made it to the semifinals. So Emma Raducanu, she, she not only qualifies... She wins, it takes seven rounds to win. And she goes through every one of these rounds. She gets into the semifinals, then she gets into the finals, and then she wins the U.S. Open. Now, she's 18 years old, and here's the crazy thing. She never lost one single set. It was just an unbelievable feat. And so they, they interview her afterwards. Here's what she said. How'd you do it, Emma? How, how, did you, how did you win? How did you not even drop a single set? And she said, she, said two, she said two things. She said, one, I listen to my coach. I, just, I do what my coach tells me to do. And she said, the second thing I do is I always distinguish between what's in my control and what's not in my control. She said, I have no control over the weather. I have no control over the fans, who the fans are voting for. I have no control over how my opponent is playing. The only thing that is in my control is what I do. And I'm very just, I'm just very focused on what I do. And uh, the interview's over and Chris Everett, who is also a teenage star in tennis, she's the commentator now. She says this, she says this, let me, let me tell you that all of the older players who they fear the most are the 18 and 19 year olds. And she said, and I'll I'll tell you why. Because for the 18 and 19 year olds, they play in a way that they have nothing to lose. They're just having fun. (laughs) They play with a reckless abandon because they've got nothing to lose. When, when people have been in it a while, they get a reputation, they get their expectations, but, but, these, but these young kids, they've got nothing to lose. So we live in a day when there are many, many distractions. There are all kinds of issues going on. The, 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 the world is falling apart. We've got everything that's happening in, in Haiti and Afghanistan and on our border and, 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 and masks and vaccines and, and all kinds of things and a, a debt that's spiraling out of control and, and everything seems to be shaking. And, and let me tell you what I believe. I believe the enemy's trying to get us worried about everything so that we're paralyzed from doing anything. And that what God is saying, what God is saying is this. I want you to let me be savior and judge. I want you to let me be in charge of all of the big things. And all I want you to do every single day is just these very simple things. Get anointed and go do good. I have freed you 
in this relationship that every single day you could just make your focus, get anointed, and go out and do good. This is what Jesus did. This is how the devil's kingdom was broken, was anointed to do good. All of the things that are threatening divide us. Guys, I don't care if you're vaccinated or not vaccinated. I don't care if you've got a mask on or don't have a mask on. I want you to be anointed and doing good. This is, this is God's plan for us.